0: Okay, so we're going to read from Romans 7, verse 14 to 25. And I'm going to be reading in the NIV version. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do I do not do, but what I hate to do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, sorry. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now if I do not Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God, who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I, myself, in my mind, am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin.
1: Thank you, Mark. Shall we just pray for Jim before he he preaches? For God, I want to just thank you for Jim. I just pray right now that your anointing would be upon him. It would be full of your Holy Spirit, Lord, that he would know your peace, Lord, and he would speak with courage and with conviction, Lord. So come, Holy Spirit, give us uh, ears to hear and hearts that can be changed, Lord, in your precious name. Amen. Thanks, Mark. It's the doo doo verse. <laughs> hello, church. Um, I just thought it'd be good because we're quite quiet this morning just to turn to say hello to someone that you don't know. So turn around, you've got 30 seconds to say hello to someone, introduce yourself. <laughs> So, catch up with them afterwards, get to know them a little bit better, that'd be good. And uh, again, just what Andy said, it's great to be with you. My name's Jim and I'm one of the leaders here. Welcome to the North Service as well for joining us. It's great that we can be one church together. We're kicking off a brand new series today called Set Apart. It's a a five-week series. Uh, Four weeks of this series, we're running alongside our life groups as well. So if you're in a life group... You'll have an opportunity over the next few weeks to not just listen to what's happening on the Sunday, but also unpack some of this stuff as you learn and as you grow um, together as well as a life group. So if you're not in a life group, hopefully this will make, might twist your arm to get involved one as well. Contact Fran afterwards or uh, email the church office. I would love to get you into a life group, particularly in a church this size. They can be a, a bit daunting at times. So to get to know a little group of people, that can help you with discipleship and fellowship is really, really key. Let's start with a couple of questions this morning, which is this have you ever found yourself frustrated with your actions, church? Yes. Fed up with the way that perhaps you act over something or you think about something or you think about someone else. You've done things again and 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 again, and you just think, this I just feel powerless to this this habit or this behavior, or this thought pattern. Has anyone felt like that before? Hopefully all of us. Me too. We all have, I think, this internal battle that I think Paul displays really, really well for us in this verse. A couple of weeks ago, I've got permission to share this, so don't worry. Uh, I I had a blazing argument with my daughter over something. I won't go into what it was about. And I just sensed this kind of impatience within me sort of beginning to stir and bubble up and then... I just sort of let it blurt out, right? That's it. That's it. No phone for a week, right? Took the phone off her. Yeah, I know, right? No phone for a week. Who wouldn't be able to survive without their phone for a week? And uh, I think I might have chucked it in there. You're not allowed to see your friends for a week as well. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I turned around and walked out of the room. And I was, as I was walking downstairs, the Holy Spirit went, hang on a moment. <laughs> hang on a moment. Where was the patience? Where was the kindness? Where was I, Jim, in that conversation? Jim, I've been patient with you for years about this matter. I've been kind with you for years about this matter. Where was it? I just turned around, walked back upstairs, and I said, I'm really sorry. Really, really sorry. How I dealt with that was not right. It was sinful because I was angry. I was being unkind. I was being really unkind in that moment what I tackled her on was right to tackle her on but how I did it was not right hopefully I'm not the only parent by the way in the room that's done that before (laughs) because otherwise I've just hugely put myself in it why can't I be gentler why can't I be kinder why do I always do what I do not want to do Paul said we all have these areas in our lives whether public or private that we struggle with areas of sin they are ultimately they are areas of sin uh, before we get into this, I just want to unpack the kind of the context for us, because we're going to be looking at this over the next few weeks, so it's good to get some, some idea of what Romans is all about, who Paul was writing to, why he was writing it. So Paul was writing uh, to the church in Rome that he'd never visited at this point, and he was writing to the church in Rome from Corinth, and uh, one day he had intended to go to the church in Rome. And on his way to Spain, he was thinking, I'm going to go to Rome first, you know, and then go over to Spain. He did end up one day going to, to Rome, but under house arrest. So it wasn't quite the the um, mission trip I think he probably thought it was going to be. And his audience in the church was very mixed. He had There was Jews and there was Gentiles. So Gentiles is just a word for anyone who wasn't a Jew. And if you, you could really have probably pulled the, the book of Romans apart into to volume one and volume two. But he wanted to keep the two... I guess, audiences together. He's addressing the two audiences for a reason. He's talking particularly to the Jews throughout this book about the law and the rules that they've come out of now that they're saved. But also he's talking to the Gentiles that they're part of this this Abrahamic faith. It was once just for the Israelites and God's chosen people. It's now for the whole world. It's for them as well. So he addresses some key things in the book of Romans. It's a great systematic theological book as well. If you're into theology, read Romans. It will help you with your doctrine and understanding, all that kind of thing. There are overarching uh, themes throughout Romans. It tackles the tensions that have arisen between the law, so when Jewish people were under the law and the gospel, the Jew and the Gentile as individuals, God's covenant people and his new covenant people, But ultimately, it's a book of unity, That righteousness that can only be right before God because of Jesus Christ on the cross. And it's Jesus that unites all peoples and all nations. It's a great book of unity. Check it out. Read the whole thing when you get home or over the next few weeks in particular. So where does chapter 7 sit, which is the bit we're looking at today? So obviously it sits between 6 and 8. Don't be stupid, Jim. Uh, Chapter 6 is all about freedom from sin. Okay, that once you become a follower of Jesus Christ, you are free from sin. Amen? Yeah. Amen? Amen. Amen? Amen. Our sinful nature has been crucified and we've been raised with Christ as well. We receive the gift of God, which is eternal life. Chapter 8 is about the Spirit and that we can live at hearts at peace with the Spirit. It gives assurance as well. It convinces us that nothing will ever separate us from the love of God. It's a brilliant chapter of hope. I don't want to say too much and step on other people's uh, heels or shows t- t- toes. Toes? Toes, that's the one. In the next few weeks, we've got Richard who's preaching next week, one of our own. And then um, James and Haley. And then Chris Brockway is coming to teach us from Romans 12 in a few weeks' time as well. So, chapter 7. Chapter 7. Paul is speaking directly to the Jewish Christians about the law. A law that they've come away from. Some of them are still kind of abiding by it some of them are struggling with it and he's using it as a great example he affirms that the law standards the jewish laws and by the way there were hundreds and hundreds of laws that jewish people had to kind of live up to and keep that the jewish laws they are holy they are holy they set this really high standard of being set apart but at the same time paul uses that to say that it highlights a significant problem that all the laws and commandments as holy as they are They just serve to highlight our areas or their areas of weakness. Areas and standards which we struggle to live up to. And once the law is broken, all of them are broken. Once you've broken one rule, they're all broken. So your agreement with God is done. I'm not right with God anymore. So for Paul himself, this highlighted the desire to covet That is a desire to have something that is not his. Romans 7, 7, just before what Mark so beautifully read, thank you Mark, it said, for I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, do not covet. Three verses later, I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life, do not covet, brought death. The law that was designed to enable holy living was impossible to keep impossible to keep. Chris touched on this last week. Who he was here last week for the, um, the Easter Day service. It was brilliant, wasn't it? So much joy. It was fantastic. But he talked about Galatians, uh, I think it was Galatians 2, 21. It says, if righteousness, if so, if being right with God, if being sinless could be gained through the law, keeping all these laws and boundaries and expectations, then Christ died for nothing. But we know That Christ did die so that we could be set apart. Now, I know that we aren't Jewish. Maybe some of you are, so I don't mean to offend anyone, but probably most of us in this room are not Jewish. So, the law, the old covenant law, actually has never applied to us. We've always been Gentiles. I think often, I think in churches, you can hear sermons where we go, I must have been under the law at one stage. We were never under the law, we were Gentiles. We've been grafted in. We've been adopted in. We'll talk about adoption in future weeks when James is preaching as well. But I think as humans, we can relate really well to laws. We can relate really well to boundaries. Who likes to know what they should and shouldn't do? Yeah? Some of the teenagers are like, definitely not. <laughs> I like to know, what, where's, my, where's, the, where's the perimeter? At? Where's the fence around the field? Like, some of us like to know where the fence is just so we can just hop over it occasionally. <laughs> Other of us are like, no, I'm going to stay firmly in the middle of this field. We, we, we are used to rules. We're used to boundaries. Now, I need to be careful with this, but I think it's important to highlight that I think despite that we all know that Jesus died for us and he rose again and we have righteousness, we've been made right, right before God because of Jesus, I think we all kind of have homemade covenants with God, I've written. Homemade covenants, things that we kind of... Um, do, maybe without even really realizing that we're conditioned by, that kind of rules our relationship with God maybe it's behaviors or bargaining with God, maybe you can identify with a few of these things you don't have to put your hands up, but have you ever felt like this? If I do this God, will you do that? yeah if I act like this, I'll be right with God again, has anyone ever felt like that? yeah if I act like that, God you will love me more if I don't do this, God, will you do that? If I don't do that and I behave in this particular way, God, you'll be near to me once again. And you want to fight like that? I let someone down, I hurt someone, I need to get God's forgiveness again. And I totally understand that. I think we're very conditioned by human relationships. Sadly, a lot of relationships, as lovely as they can be, are quite conditional. But we apply that logic to God's. And our relationship with God. And we end up with this kind of yo-yo faith where our behaviours and our attitudes and our, uh, how we live our life kind of drives our understanding of who God is. And at some extent, it's no better than adhering to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of rules and laws. We've just created our own. We live by our own. And we just put so much pressure on ourselves. And it's tiring. And more than that, it damages the power of God's grace in our lives, our understanding of grace. This is so important. We can treat God's grace like a parent, right, who gives an iPhone to someone or their kid for a birthday, and then you don't quite act the way you should act or do the thing you should do, and then God goes, right, give me that phone back, right? You ever felt like that? God's taken that away from me. He's not very close to me at the moment. I haven't quite acted the way I should have done. I've not quite thought like I should have done. I've done something a bit wrong. And you've got to do certain things to earn it back and get it back. It's as if God's goodness and mercy doesn't follow us all the days of our lives. That we're not in the house of the Lord forever. He takes the phone and he boots us out of the house. Get out. And now you've got to do this again. And now you've got to think like this. And now you've got to behave like that. We can spend so long at the foot of the cross. Like ready for the transaction of mercy all the time. So, I've, We have such a strong forgiveness gospel, I think, in our understanding we just kind of want to take the, the mercy all the time and the forgiveness from God. But God set us free and his grace is there for us to live beyond the cross. But so many of us live at the foot of the cross. I'm not saying we shouldn't remember what Christ has done on the cross. That's why we've got a cross in the building. It's the turning point. It's the pivot point of history. But so many of us, we just live our daily lives. Or perhaps even our weekly lives, we come to church and we get right with God again. Like he's not already made it right. He's already made it right that's the point and the power of grace some of us need to stop working really hard and bargaining with God and behaving a certain way because we think it does something with our relationship God It doesn't do anything at all Jesus Christ has already given us the rest that we need from that we need to learn to rest in the rest that Jesus has achieved for us rather than thinking that anything that we do we earn and we earn it because it's something on our sort of merit does that make sense so we are set apart permanently by God, by Jesus' work on the cross, for God as well. We're sanctified. Hebrews 10:10 10, 10 says we have been sanctified, set apart through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. It's your permanent identity, it's the reason why you can smile. I love this picture. Right? God has set you apart. Not you, that's his hand on your life. That's Jesus Christ's. Death and resurrection. It's the spirit living within you. That has set you apart. That's why you can smile. You don't, it doesn't bring you back to the line again when you messed up. This word sanctification, by the way, is the focus of what we're going to be looking at. We've called it set apart for the next few weeks. It's a very religious word. Um, but it just means set apart. It means you've been set apart by God for God. Not for you and hoping that God blesses you, right? But you've been set apart by God for his plans and purposes, So what does it mean? Is that it? It's a one-time thing? I've been set apart? Great. No, we go on being set apart. It's called progressive sanctification. It's a bit of a long thing. But Leviticus 20 verse 7 gives us a really good insight as to what this looks like as we choose to live a life that is set apart. It says this, Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. This verse is great in helping us grasp a key part of being set apart is choosing to be holy. It's choosing to be holy. We grow in sanctification. We grow in our maturity. We grow in our Christ likeness when we choose holiness. If we're in pursuit of holiness, that's when we know that we're growing in maturity. But the strongest opposition, which is what we're going to be focusing on today, to holiness is sinfulness. It's sinfulness. And this is what we saw in Paul's turmoil, I think, in this particular passage. How can I be set apart? How can I be sanctified? How can I be dead to sin, as it says in Romans chapter 6, right? It has no power over it anymore. I'm not a slave to sin anymore. And yet I always do what I don't want to do. You ever felt like that? How do I still struggle with sin? First thing I wanted to say, it's not a point really, but it's an encouragement is that Paul often writes in third person and he writes kind of to different groups, that kind of thing. Here, when you drill into it, it's singular present tense. This is Paul talking about himself. I believe that this is Paul talking about himself. This is post-Damascus Road when Paul has had an incredible experience with Jesus, post being filled with the Holy Spirit, and yet Paul can still deeply, can deeply be honest with us and say that he struggles with sin. I don't know about you, but that encourages me. Someone like Paul, who most of the New Testament was written by, can say, I struggle with this sin. So how do we approach it? Wow, I did a deep dive into sin this week. It doesn't sound like it sounds like right. (laughs) Um, But I I did sin this week. I'm sure we've all sinned this week. But understanding sin as an it, as an it, I think is really, really important. It's so something that I think God's been opening my eyes more and more to over the last few months. Paul, in the verses that we read in 17 and 20, he refers to the influence of sin in his life, making him do things he doesn't want to do. You ever felt like that? In Romans 7:8, a few verses before, sin sees an opportunity and it produced covetousness. And you could read this and think, Paul, you're just trying to—you know—you're just trying to get out of trouble here, mate. <laughs> All right? This is a cop-out. You've got to take responsibility. It's a bit like when your kids go, oh, I didn't mean to. They made me do it. Sin made me do it. But there is some truth in that. There's an element of truth in it. When Paul mentions sin in this passage, it's a word in the Greek called hamartia. We mentioned it last week. A lot of you will know what that means. It means missing the mark. It's an archery term. When you shoot past the board, I'm assuming... And often when we think of sin we think of action don't we we think of something that we've done or something that we've thought about or whatever it might be but this hamartia is a noun it's a noun it's a thing it's an identity it's a force it's a force that produces actions and produces behaviors and attitudes it's the sin behind the sin i've heard some People call it the sin behind the sin or the power of sin behind the sin. And you can chase this all the way back to Genesis. If, you, if you've got your Bible, it's Genesis 4 verse 7. It says this, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. It's a little like, I was trying to think of an analogy, a little like if you were abroad in a country where malaria was prevalent and the mosquito was buzzing around and you didn't have your jabs done and it stings you, you'd be thinking, I've got malaria. I've contracted it. This force that has kind of entered my body and caused absolute havoc. That's kind of how I'm seeing this. It's a parasite of sin that causes havoc in us. And I believe it, sin, is the ingredient in which Satan and his army uses to stir up all kinds of diabolical plans and havoc in your life and through your life as well. It, sin, if allowed, infects us. It entices that rebellious nature that we all have. But it cannot infect our identity in Christ. And this is really, really important. At our core, sin cannot enter who we are now. Cannot We're hidden with Christ. You are, alone. you are one with the Lord in spirit, the scripture says. Sin has, hasn't come from you, hasn't come from the person, but it still infects the person and causes harm. And a grace-confused person will hate this, but a lot of damage has been done, I think, by good-meaning people over many, many years as in church and in conversations where they've pointed at someone and gone, you're the problem, Mark. Another Mark. I've got loads of Marks. You're the problem. You're not the problem. You're the problem. I'm not saying we don't have sin in us. That's not what I'm saying. I think there's been a lot of people that have been had the finger pointing at them saying, You're wretched and you're horrible. You're worthless. You're just as bad as you've always been. But that's not our position as Christians. I also think if we have a healthy understanding of this and really allow it to impact how we live our lives, particularly as we struggle with sin, we become more reliant on God's and less reliant on having to try harder. I, I did years of that. Just try harder not to sin. Anyone done that? Try harder not to sin. Try hard not to sin. No, no, rest. Rest in what's been won for you. We'll come on to that a little bit in a minute. Very quiet, church. <laughs> We've been set apart. Sin has an effect in us, but it does not mean it is us. Our bodies are a vessel for two kinds of things, holiness and sinfulness. So, Jim, are you saying that when we sin, it's not us? How dare you? You're just giving license to people to sin. What I will say is that everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. As a Christian, that's the beauty of this relationship that we're in, not a religion that we're in, that we have to do these certain things. We can do whatever we want. We're free to do whatever we want, but not everything is beneficial to our walk with Jesus Christ. One Titus 1, verse 8, love what is good, be self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. There are many, many verses in the New Testament that say it's not about just giving into it and just doing it. But if we can understand the influence and the power of sin and the force of sin, I believe we can begin to combat it. I believe we can have a better identity of ourselves as well, that we're not horrible people. That we need to get Jesus to get back up on the cross again and die once more. He's done it once and for all. We simply live in a fallen world where the forces of sin will occasionally make us stumble. Galatians 5 says it much better than I do. Walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Sometimes... You could substitute the word flesh for worldliness. So walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of worldliness. For the worldliness lusts against the spirit. And the spirit against worldliness. And these are contrary to one another. So that you do not do the things that you wish. Another name for Satan is the accuser. I'm sure you know that. It's his job to accuse you. Even as a, as a born again Christian that you haven't lost your identity of sinfulness. You haven't got a new identity in Christ. It's his job to go, no, you're an awful person. Awful person. Perhaps for some of us today, that has been your situation for years and years and years. So what's the answer? How do we fight it? This is going to be controversial, but we don't. (laughs) We don't fight it. We can't fight it. The force of Hermatia, sin, is allowed to be here until this planet is remade. 2 Peter 3.13, we look forward to a new heaven and earth where righteousness dwells. Because 1 John 5.17, all unrighteousness is sin. There's unrighteousness everywhere. The force of sin is everywhere. It is. If you're new to church today, welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Revelation 21.4, where the old order of things, sin, has passed away. There'll be a day, there will be a day where there'll be no domain and no power for sin forever. I can't wait for that day. But until that day, do we just go on sinning? Singing? Go on singing if you want. Go on sinning? No, we don't. Paul says in chapter 6, Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means we died to sin, so how can we live in it any longer? This is a slightly rhetorical question, but that how can we live it any longer is how I want to finish today. In the verse we read but I cannot carry it out, in verse 18 in the passage. The desire to do what is good, we know it. We can't always carry it out. And So, two things. As a Christian, our life is not marked by sinlessness. It's marked by two clear actions, dependence and repentance. Dependence and repentance. When it comes to sin, Jesus has made himself the answer every single stage of our lives He's not only died for the penalty of our sin, one day he'll return and he'll deal with the presence of sin. Until that day, we need his presence to deal with the power of sin every single day. Does that make sense? He's dealt with the penalty. There'll be a day there'll be no more presence because Jesus will return. And we need Jesus every day to deal with the power of sin. We need to remember that we're under construction. We've been sanctified But we go on being sanctified through the Spirit of Christ in our life. We are unfinished. Only He can continue the good work that He started with us. Only He can bring it to completion until the day that He returns. Until that day, what would we have to do, Jim? You have to be a branch. (laughs) You have to be a branch. John 15. We have to learn just to abide in Christ. And I don't mean positionally. If you've said, yes, I want to follow you, Jesus Christ, yes, you have Jesus in your life, yes, you have the Holy Spirit, you're positionally in Christ. I mean actively abide in Christ. Invite the Spirit in every single moment of every single day. Get to know the Bible. Allow the Spirit of God to speak to you through Scripture and shape you through Scripture it's his job, Jesus's job, the Spirit of God, the vine, to produce good stuff in you. The more stuff that he can produce in us, the more we become like Christ. The more we become like Christ, the less that as sin has room to roam in our life. Fall in love with Jesus, and you'll want to spend all the time with him. Sin will have less and less and less and less power in your life the more you fall in love with Jesus. And by the way, I could give you lots of different practical things you should do about sin and I'm pretty confident you're all clever enough to know what your boundaries are and what you should and shouldn't do the strongest thing you do can do to focus and power against sin is to allow Jesus to fight it get to know him learn his voice sadly I don't think a lot of us live dependent on that on the spirit we have the spirit but we live independent of it that's a really dodgy ground because when that happens, I believe sin is waiting, waiting to pounce. It's waiting to harden our hearts. I've felt that. I've had years where sin has hardened my hearts because I've just not poured myself into my relationship with Christ. So Jim, do we simply do nothing but just rest in Jesus and rely on him in our battle against sin? Yes, you do. But you choose the life that he has chosen for you. You choose resurrection life over the culture of worldliness which leads to death. You choose to live out a life that is about your identity that you've been set apart. We don't just become pre-programmed robots where we're now just slaves to righteousness. We can't do anything wrong. We know that's not true. But you've been given everything that you need to live as a slave to righteousness. And the most important thing that you've been given is the Holy Spirit. Dare I say it? More important than the Bible. <laughs> They're both important. Get to know the Holy Spirit and He will lead you in ways of righteousness that lead you away from temptation and away from worldliness that just leads to destruction. So, Jim, I'm fully dependent on the Spirit and it's leading me, and I choose to bring God's honor with my life and all this sort of stuff. But last week I still shouted at the kids. <laughs> I viewed a few things online that I shouldn't have viewed. I treated someone badly, I cheated. I lied, I put others down, I had horrible thoughts, the list goes on. What now? What do I do now? The next stage of dependence is repentance. It's repentance. When it, when sin produces an action or an attitude in you that leads to a sinful thing, it's like a bruise in an apple. Unless you cut it out, it will spoil the whole apple. But you've got to choose to cut it out repentance is a brilliant thing for us to do as christians we repent we acknowledge we confess that we've done that thing wrong we said that wrong thing we've thought in a wrong way what that does is it creates space again for god to do what only he can do confession and repentance is the process that god uses to cut sin out of our lives Psalm 41 King David understood this brilliantly. O oh Lord have mercy on me heal me for I have sinned against you in my integrity you uphold me and set me in your presence forever. In my integrity it means his honest confession. In my confession you uphold me and you set me in your presence forever. The beautiful thing now is that we always have God's presence. But how incredible to think that a man after God's own heart David A man that committed adultery, a man that was a murderer, was called a man after God's own heart. That's crazy, isn't it? We'd all go, "You're not a man after. What have you done there? You're not a good man." I know I'm not, but I know a man who is, and I need to learn to rest in His goodness so that it produces that goodness in me. Our life is not marked by sinlessness, but it's marked by dependence and repentance. And those two things, they go hand in hand. I think some people are really good at having a life as a Christian marked by repentance. I said this earlier, we, are, we just stay at the foot of the cross. I need to get right with God again. I need to get right with God again. And then you don't ever learn to live on de- with dependence through the Spirit, who is making you right with God as part of that journey. That's weird. <laughs> What's that alarm? <laughs> it's an alarm, it's a sign (laughs) it's probably not (laughs) and others dependence, we rely so heavily on the dependence of the spirit that actually we forget, actually we need to regularly clock in and realise that we, we need to turn and confess certain things to God this year's motto text is all about reveal, isn't it? these things God has revealed to us, the spirit has revealed to us We want to be a church. I hope that we all want to be individuals following Christ. where We're constantly open to the revelation of what the Spirit is doing in our lives. Constantly open to being more and more set apart, being sanctified. That's my desire for us as a church. That's my desire for me. Do you regularly invite the Spirit in each day? Holy Spirit, come today and change my desires. Change my focus. Holy Spirit, I know that I'm going to have a really difficult conversation with my daughter this afternoon. <laughs> Give me the peace and the patience and the kindness in that moment. We need to be more proactive with this stuff. Holy Spirit, come and continue to complete the work that you started with in me. R.C. sprawl puts it this way, The closer we are to God, the more the slightest sin will cause us deep sorrow. The closer we are to God, the more the slightest sin will cause us deep sorrow. The closer you feel to God, the brighter the light shines on things in your life. And I just want to say this. You're as close to God as you ever will ever be, positionally. (laughs) Right? There's nothing that you can do to make that even closer. Theologically, he's in you, you're in him. I know that there are things that we can do that can help us in our relationship. Where are those areas that you need Jesus to shine a light on stuff? Someone told me once you don't chase darkness out of a room, you turn a light on, right? Jesus is the light of the world. The Spirit, turn the Spirit on. Allow the Spirit to turn and face you, to look into, your, into you, who you are. As David said, examine my heart. The enemy doesn't like this, by the way. <laughs> the enemy really doesn't like this. If you start to live a life like this, the enemy will hate it the enemy that wants you just to stay in the world and to live sinful life. His job is to blind you from truth, but the Spirit of God leads you into all truth. That's the Spirit's job. This is why you have so much conflict all the time. There's been times in my life where i known I'm about to sin. and I'm like, oh, I'm just going to have to push God out of my mind right now. I hope I'm not the only person that's done that. But I kind of do as well. Because it's not a good place to be in. I've actually chosen to blind myself to the truth of what God is trying to say to me. That yielding of that quiet, still, small voice that's saying, don't do that. That's not the life that I've set you apart for. That's not the life that I've saved you for. Put on righteousness. You've been crucified through me to that. Live a resurrection life, a new life. I want to say if you're struggling with sin in your life everyone is. But if you're struggling with sin it's a good sign in the sense that God therefore is wrestling with you. Does that make sense? It's when we become so hardened to sin in our life we just think ah oh, doesn't really matter God loves me anyway. That's not really how it works. We we'll unpack more of this over the next few weeks. But if you're wrestling with sin, if you constantly got this, why do I keep doing this? Why do I keep doing that? It's a sign. It means you're alive in Christ because you have this conflict in you. But you need to do something with it. You need to repent. You don't need to ask Jesus to get back up on the cross. He's done that once and for all. You've got grace. You just need to confess. And you might need to confess just to God you might feel that on your spirit you need to confess to someone that you trust that you love that you know loves you and you can walk with you might need to get in an accountability partnership and do discipleship you might need to get into a life group you might just pick up that phone and just say I need to chat with you about something but this is how it works this is how you cut the bruise out of the apple this is how you give space for God to go it's all right I'll pick you off the ground like you did with the grapes in the in the vineyard in the vineyard just dusted them off sometimes we just need to dust them off that's what repentance does it just sets us in a much healthier approach towards our relationship with Christ so <laughs> there we go we'll be unpacking more of this stuff over the next few weeks not quite as heavy as that I don't know maybe it will be looking at the gospel looking at the life we've been called into looking at the hope of the future glory as well And I'm excited for that. But I just want to give us an opportunity this morning um, to get right with God in the sense that (laughs) you're already right with God, but just maybe confess things to him. Just acknowledge that you need more of his spirit's power in your life. You need more of him to produce good things in you. So I'm going to invite um, the band up to to come and just be on the platform. And... um, i to pray. We come before you boldly, confidently, because of what you've done on the cross. We thank you. But Lord, we come with stuff, baggage, things that perhaps we've been carrying for a day or things we've been carrying for years and years when it comes to sin in our lives. Lord, we know that we're up against this power, this force of sin, that until you return, we'll always be around the corner. Lord, I pray for your wisdom. We pray for your wisdom. Lord, and right now, the still small voice, speak to us, speak into our hearts. Bring it up from the depths of our hearts to the surface. we we'll thank you that you're a patient God. You're a kind God. You're a gentle God. I'm just reminded of when Adam and Eve come to God and they're ashamed and they're kind of wearing these fig leaves and God clothes them again <laughs> and he covers them again. And I want to encourage you, if that's you, God covers you. He's always covered you, but he loves you. Nothing that you have done will separate you from this incredible love. Nothing will you have done, no sin will separate you from this incredible love. Jesus, help us to take hold of our identity in you. Help us to understand the bigger vision of grace in our lives keep us from just being sort of groveling at your cross thank you for your cross we remember your cross but we remember the freedom that it paid for us freedom into abundant life but Lord help us where we need your help empower us with your spirit overflowing like a glass that just keeps filled up with with you the water the living water wash out of us anything that is not holy and thank you that we can claim forgiveness in your name we turn and we face you again we decide today we're not doing that thing anymore we're not behaving in that way anymore we're not thinking like that anymore and we turn and we face you and we thank you we recognize that we are who you say we are. In your powerful name, Jesus. Amen.